Y'all there? Psalm 48. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in, in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth. Is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great King. Amen. I wish I knew how to sing all the psalms. Don't you? Now, I missed it when we went down through. We're going to correct it. We're going to sing it again. I'm going to correct it because I'm bad about doing this one on this song. Where it says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In. Then I said, in the city. That's saying that word twice. And I try to stay away from that. Because that's changing the scriptures to a degree too. So what we're going to do is sing it this way. And let's just listen to him as we go. Great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. In the city of our God. In the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth. Is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Now Zion, you know where Zion is? What's it speaking of? But where, what is Mount Zion in the Bible? Jerusalem. In New Testament, it'll say Zion, Mount Zion, S-I-O-N. The difference is the spelling between the Greek and the Hebrew. Hebrew of the Old Testament is Zion. Uh, Greek of the New Testament is Sion, S-I-O-N. And so now you can tell where the, where the throne of God is. Where's the throne of God? In the sides of the north. Now you say, where's that at? I don't know. But ask me that about a, ma- a million years from now. Huh? <laughs> Amen. I got that right show. Where are you going? Who? Oh yeah, but that's but we're talking about the sides of the north of the universe. Hey, Tony, we ain't started yet. We just sing a little song, fix our prayer, and take off. Get you a chair. We got the song out of the way, so you wouldn't have to be. Oh no, we're gonna sing it again. I don't know. No, I don't think so. Is it flipping chair? Yeah, he said it was. You might want to use that little bar. It might not be a flipping chair. All right. Good to see you, brother. Well, there's some more in here. That's the thing about when you come dragging in late, you have to take what you get. I love you, Tony. Amen. Take what you get. All right. Sure good to see you this morning. Now, you stand right there. Right there, you can help back me up now. All right. You want a biscuit? You want a biscuit? The biscuit right well, there are plenty of them. Okay. If you don't eat them, I'm going to have to take them home he, he and eat them. Oh. Oh. He I ain't opened it up. We're just starting. Do you know this Psalm 48? No. To sing it? To sing Psalm 48? Well, all right, all right, ladies, let's sing it for them again. Psalm 48. Now, what, get, get, get your Bible open, so Tony. You can't, you can't study around here without no Bible. <laughs> <laughs> just teasing you. Go ahead, preacher. Uh, no, I want you to read it. You, you got to have the words to the song. We're going. We're going to read it. No, we're going to sing it. Psalm forty-eight. Psalm forty-eight. Two verses. First two verses. This is a good one for you to sing at your church too. All the psalms could be put to mute, and some people have done that. Yeah. 
But I'll, my problem is I ain't never had nobody to play uh, I, I the song. This, I remember somebody sang it. Miss Burrow can play it. Yeah, Miss Burrow can play most of play it. it. All right. You ready? Yes, sir. Psalm 48. Here it is. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth. Is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. How you like that? I like that. Amen. You can get that going in your church up there. Amen. All right. Yeah. Yep. So, well, praise God for you being here this morning. We're going to do a study. And uh, it's going to work on Exodus chapter 25 through Exodus chapter 40 and out of the book of Hebrews. We'll look at this. Now, this is a subject... I've done a lot of study on down through the years. I've enjoyed it. It's a blessing to me every time I study it and every time I preach it and every time I teach it. But it is a dull subject to most people. Most preachers do not preach it. Most preachers just preach it in spots. I've got a lot of little pamphlets on the shelf over here that is correspondent to most of these things we're dealing with. And we'll not get very far into this. This will be a continual study, but it'll be something that we won't do every study time, but what it'll do is we'll pick it up every now and again, and then we'll try to break the break the humdrum of it to get it. It's called the tabernacle in the wilderness. The tabernacle. How many knows all there is to know about the tabernacle? Amen. Do you even know what the tabernacle is? Some do and some don't. Most people in the churches don't know what it is. Now, I've taught it quite a bit. Brother Virgil said under some of it, but we're going to cover areas today that you want, and I'm going to take my time. We're going to break it down close. We're going to break it down to where we can understand some of it, and I pray that God might give us wisdom and understanding. If, if you'll study the tabernacle, I'm going to show you why it's so important. Somebody said, we're not in the uh, Old Land. We're not in Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. And uh, the, the, the tabernacle has nothing to do with the church. You'd be surprised what it'll have to do with the church. It's not the church in the wilderness. It's not the church out. It's not. The church wasn't even seen in that, except it's a a typical of the church in the New Testament. But I want to show you how important it is. It's important enough that God took chapter 25 of the book of Exodus on up through chapter 40 of the book of Exodus to give you all there is to know about it. That's quite a few chapters, isn't it? All right. He's also given us chapters in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to use them. That's probably our text this morning uh, to start off with, and then we'll go to Exodus chapter 25. We're going to uh, Hebrews 9. I believe it's 9. Let me look and see. We're going to go to Hebrews 9. That's where will be our text this morning. We're going to pray in just a moment, and then we'll look into that. And I pray that God will help you. Now try to get a hold and get a, a grasp of this. God put everything in there, the dimensions, the sizes, where it puts it, uh, and so forth. You'll see it in your life today if you look at it. You want me to tell you what I believe? I believe today we're taking God for granted. That's right. I believe God's holier than you think he's, He is. I believe God's more magnificent than the average church member thinks He is. Amen. He's more honorable, and I'll tell you, He takes and desires more of our attention than anything in the world. We come to church, we come to church to greet each other, look at what they got on, what they're wearing, and uh, this and that, 
talk about what we've done last week, what we think about doing next month. Let me tell you, every time we come in that church door up there, we ought to be coming in here magnifying God for what He's done for us, what He's doing for us, and what He's going to do for us. Well, that's a time that we forget everything on the outside. We leave the job off. We leave the home off. And I'm not talking about how we operate the home, but I'm talking about we leave out our curtains and our uh, uh, cooking and all that. We leave all that alone. We come to the house of God for one purpose, and that's to magnify God. And the Old Testament tabernacle will teach you how holy God is. And we need to see that today. All right? Brother Tony, would you lead us yes, to the throne of grace, and we'll yes, take off. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we come to you thanking you, Lord, for this beautiful day. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible study we're about to go into. And pray, Lord, you bless the man, Lord, as he brings God. the study that's upon us. God use him as an instrument this morning, anoint it, and Lord, uh, help us, Lord, that we not only be hearers of the word, yes. but God, that we be going out to be doers too. Yep. Lord, I pray now, God, go with us and bless this study. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 One of the boys over in Dahlonega was teaching a Bible class, and he was taken in, in, a, in a Bible school. Uh, one of the churches put out and they still got that school going, but he, he was his semester was preaching, not preaching, but teaching the tabernacle. And he knew I studied the tabernacle quite a bit, and knew I had some literature on it. And he got all my literature and took it, and he used that. And I said, "Listen, that is not, that's not complete. I just give you little bits and pieces." And uh, so. They, there's a lot of preachers don't know much about the tabernacle. I believe you'll probably agree with me on that, yes, would you, Brother Tony? Amen. They don't know a whole lot about the tabernacle. But when we look at it, I'm going to tell you, every time I study it, I draw up. I see how so far away we've got away from God. See, God was number one. The tabernacle was where God is to dwell with the people. Amen. He'd come out and walk around the, uh, the tabernacle with them. Uh, he, he he was in one spot in that tabernacle, and God had a real requirements. If anybody got inside that tabernacle, they had to go a certain way, they had to carry a certain thing, had to dress a certain way. Everything was right down to the T, or God would kill them right on the spot. Right? Yes, so that ought to help us when we think about coming to church. Church house is a holy place. Amen. It's a sacred place. Yes, it's a sanctuary. We'll see that today. All right. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter nine. And uh, uh, you know, I've stayed a long time on this just to get it up to date. And it's a blessing you get looking at. Let me, let me make sure I'm on the right chapter. I got it. Got so many notes today. All right. Yep. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Now, you probably know that the tabernacle is mentioned this much in, in the New Testament. But it says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances. We'll talk about the covenant, the first covenant. Now, what's the first covenant? That's the Old Testament. And ordinances of divine service. And I want to show you, while I'm reading this, think of the tabernacle in three positions. There's three things to the tabernacle. You got the outer court. That's where people came to get ready to meet God. Then they had the holy place. It had, a, it had to go through a veil into the holy place. 
We'll talk about, maybe we'll mention it after a while, what was in the holy place. But the holy place was for service. Then they had what they call the most holy place or the holiest of all. And that's what we're going to study today. But in the holiest of all, that's where the mercy seat was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the cherubims were. And we'll talk about that today, hopefully. So I'm going to have to move as fast as I can for us to get this. And I've got scripture after scripture we're going to need to look at. We're just going to take a verse at a time. But I pray that God will help us to understand this. So you had that to mo- you had the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy. Now while we're reading this, and straight on the tabernacle, you remember where you were before you ever got saved? You was on the outer court without God. What's in the outer court? The brazen altar. Brass means judgment. And we had to come before the brazen altar. We have to confess our sins. And there's repentance. You'll never get to the holiest of God till you've repented. Right? Amen. All right. Then secondly, you went to the laver. The priest did. The priest doing this. And now, by the way, uh, that was what they did in the Old Testament. But this is also the redemption for the people on the outside. None of them, uh, they all had to bring a sacrifice, but the priest couldn't offer it. Now we're kings and priests. We don't have to have a priest to get us to God. we got one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Right? Okay. Secondly, they moved into the holy place. Who did? The priest who had washed their garments at the laver and put on new garments. When I went to the Holy Land in the 70s, in the Muslim temples, they would take them in, they'd have to pull their shoes off, but they have fountains outside those Muslim temples over in the Holy Land. And they would go down to them, uh, that that uh, water, they had a water thing, they sit down at that, and the water came out, and they washed their feet. They was all circled around. They washed their feet, pulled their shoes off. Uh, uh, there's a lot of foot washing in the Bible times. If you'll stop to think about it, you probably never have thought much about it. But they had to wash their feet to get in. Now, the Muslims, that wasn't what God said, but that's what they did. They washed their feet. They went inside barefooted because they, they wanted to get the wor- dirt of the world off their feet to go in to worship uh, their God. And uh, they're wrong in not what they're doing. They, they, they got the right idea, but they got the wrong God. Yeah. But what they went in... And then they worship and come out. But see, when they went in there, the priest did, he is clean. He had on clean garments. He is repented up. The blood had been sprinkled. He's clean. He couldn't go into the holy place, even the holy place behind the veil, without blood. He had to sprinkle the blood. And uh, we won't get into the sprinkling of it. People got different ideas about it. I, I don't try to explain it because I can't find the Bible explaining it. He just said they sprinkled it. So I just take for granted they just sprinkled it. And so they went in the holy place. In the holy place, places where they kept the uh, the tap, or got the uh, candles or the golden candlestick beaten out of one piece of gold, kept it burning by putting oil in it. They had to keep the table of showbread. Uh, that's where the priests eat the bread. And they had the altar of incense that they had to keep it right. That was what we call service. Now, not everybody went into the Holy of Holies. They couldn't. Nobody but the priest, the high priest. But the priest went into the holy place, which we are priests today. 
And that's what our job is after we're saved, is service. See, my job today is serve God. Your job is to serve God. If you're saved, you're to serve God. And it's important that you do that. We don't. Matter of fact, in our modern day, we do a little bit for God and brag about it for six months and want everybody else to pat us on the back. And then at the same time, we get a reward here. And we're not doing that because we're doing it for God. We're doing it for glory. And that's not everybody does. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, not against everything. But the church is filled with all kinds of works. And if we do anything, we'll think we're gaining it. I've done this much for God. Surely I've got a good place in glory. Your service has nothing to do whether you're going to heaven or not. It's the blood at the altar. Yep. Amen. Amen. If you got the blood at the altar, you got service because you want to do something for God because He picked you out of hell, saved you, and set you free. Does this make sense? Y'all yes. dull already? I want to keep it going? All right, here we are. Because this is a dull subject for most people. Because they don't know nothing about it. So we get in here, we find all this. But the only one that could go into the holiest of holies is the high priest. And he's got to have blood. And he gets in there, he sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat. We're going to describe that today. That's actually the only piece of furniture that we'll cover in detail in length today is the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. But I want to point this out before we read any of this scripture because you're going to miss the idea of it. Uh, I've studied it for a long, long time and found out why all that was there. Now, why we do this, God had a purpose. Uh, Roman Catholicism has set up a country for all kinds of rituals. That's I've told people before, preached in the pulpit, that Roman Catholicism is probably the most beautiful religion of the world. And notice I said religion. That's what it is. They have all kinds of ornaments. They, they go into uh, extreme and extravagance in putting up their sacrifices and doing what they do. And they go sprinkling the holy water. You don't find that in the Bible. But they go around doing that. They, uh, they forbid to marry and all these things. They got their own ordinances and that sort of thing. But they're so contrary to the Word of God. You agree, don't you? Yes, Amen. You need to agree with that. If you don't, you're going to mess up. And uh, But Roman Catholicism, you'll have to say that it's probably the most beautiful religion. You ever seen a Catholic funeral where they bury a a, a, a real, uh, what, do you, what do you call them? Uh, yeah, a celebrity of some kind. Yeah. Uh, they they get the fanciest songs. They they go in and they move. They're about like the military. They got to have have everything just right. You see what I'm saying? And well, they take that serious. They're serious in that, but they're dead serious. And we don't even. We just come flopping in the house of God, sit down, get it over with, preacher. When you get through, I'm going to eat. You're right. You're right. Right. And we need to change our attitude the way we go to the house of God. Yeah. And uh, really, that's a sacred place. I come in, brother, I want to tell you something. I feel, I feel uh, the, really, uh, it's like a great opportunity for me to be at the house of God. I don't deserve to go to church. I don't. But I sure am glad God made a way for it. Amen. And that's where I meet the people of God. And we just take it for granted. And I'm trying to change that. And been trying to change it for years, but it don't seem to work. I've tried about everything. Mm -hmm. It don't work. 
But you understand if you see the word like it ought to be. Now, there's three places. Where do you want to be? Out of the court? In the middle of service? Or do you want to get down into the Holy of Holies? Now, you said, preacher, we don't have a tabernacle like that. No, we don't. But we can be on the outside just just nonchalantly. Don't worry about it. We're just saved and going to heaven. That's all that matters to me. But you can stay there the rest of your life if you want to. Everything in the world's going to bother you. Trouble's going to take you down. Uh, trouble's going to hit you on every side. You won't know how to handle anything in life. So many are that way. They fall apart uh, when the tire blows out on their car. That's trivial. Yeah. Am I right, ladies yeah. and gentlemen? Okay. Right. And uh, so what happens is that if you don't, if you want to get out of anything, get in the holy place. In the holy place, the Bible said we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in the time. Here it is. Find help in the time of need. If you're in the holy place, things don't bother you in this world. It's bad. And also you're in the service. You're doing for God. You're working. You're not working to get saved. Not working to stay saved. You're working because you are saved. And you're there because you want to magnify Him. He loved you enough to save you. You love Him enough to serve Him. And you get in that place and you enjoy going to church. You enjoy reading your Bible. You enjoy witnessing and talking to people. See, that's an area right now that children, the saints of God have a problem with. They have a problem witnessing to people out in the public. It's hard, to, it's hard to even witness to your own family. Sometimes it's easier to witness to somebody on the outside. But somehow you have a wit. I don't see people witnessing to people anymore much like I used to see it. So we're losing on that area. But that's a good place to be is in the holy place. Now if you really want to really be where you need to be, you're going to get in the holiest of holies. Now I realize we're not in a sacrifice day. Why? We've had already a supreme sacrifice that has come. He's fulfilled every bit of it. There's no more sacrifice to be made. We can't crucify Christ afresh and new. He came once and for all, for all men. He'll never die again. Hallelujah. I'm glad, glad I can say that. Amen. But there's a place that you can get into the throne room, the real throne room. And it's not a place of service. It's a place of worship. So that's why we need to pray in supplication and our prayer life needs to be so strong in the Lord that we can get into the holiest of holies and we can feel that divine touch. Let me just throw a little thing at you. Let me just throw this at you. I had a, I had a glorious time yesterday afternoon in my living room and just got this little thought. The Bible says the church is the bride. We may not even get into this. The church is the bride of Christ. Am I right? Yes. He's already, you know what we're looking forward to? Uh, we're looking forward to going to heaven. And, look, you remember the Bible says that there's no such thing as marrying and giving him marriage in heaven? Right. Everybody said, I want to see my husband. I want to see my wife. I want No. Let me tell you, we are the bride's wife. I read in, the, in Revelation that there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. Who's going to be the Lamb? Right? Who's going to be the bride? Born again believers. Uh, what's going to happen is we're going to be sitting with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's coming after us. Remember this. And we're going to be, well, praise God. You ever wonder, I imagine every, we all adults in here, here's, uh, here's something I'm going to say. 
and I try to be very careful the way I say it. Uh, men and women, they love each other, and I'm talking about a husband and wife relationship. That's the way it's supposed to be. Right. And so what they do is they, I mean, they're real, pro- and then when you lose one of them, and I've experienced some of that, so I know what I'm talking about. When you lose them, you say, oh, Lord, the best life I've lived has been two, with my Lord and with my wife. I can't think of anything else on this earth that has given me more gratification in my spiritual and physical body is the Lord, which is the spiritual, and my wife, which is the physical. And why in the world are we going to give up heaven, give up life and go to heaven and you ain't going to have all that? No marrying. And God let me know, hey, you're going to be married in heaven. You ain't going to need a wife. Amen. You will be the wife and you'll be the bride. And you're going to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ while while Caesar's ages roll and it ain't nothing to compare with what this earth is. Glory to God. Take me a spell. (laughs) Amen. Ain't that right? That's right. And so you just, uh, huh? That help you? Amen. The Bible said the former life is over. We get there. Well, do you think heaven's going to be worse than what we've got now? We've been preaching all these years. It's going to get better. Now, I don't know what's in store for me because I ain't seen it. But I'll guarantee you, he told me, I have not seen, ears not heard, neither entered into our heart. So I know good and well we're going to have a glorious time in heaven. Praise God. No wonder I've been excited to get here. (laughs) Amen. Now, with all that in mind, where do you want to be the rest of your life? In the holy of holiest with God the rest of your days. Now, how are we going to get there? Well, we go, yeah, well, y'all be, you won't even, can't even think about it about being saved, but we're going to talk about the steps it's going to take. Somehow, it, uh, I'll gonna, I'm going to filter it in. I'm going to, what they call that, salt in the way to get it to the holiest of holies. But first, we've got to see why we need to be there. And how God's got it fixed. So let's go to chapter 9. You wouldn't think about it. How many uh, can memorize, has memorized chapter 9 of Hebrews and can say it for us? Anybody? I'll let you quote it for us. Okay. That's, it's not one of them chapters that you... It's not one of them chapters you try to stick under your belt, you know. Amen. And if you, if you went to church and said, Hey, I want to, I want to quote chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews. Everybody's going to look. And when you start, they're going to say... What's all that mean? What's all that mean? And when we read it, see if you don't say the same thing when I read it, okay? Now you know a little bit more about it, so you won't say as bad. Verse number one, Then verily the first covenant, Old Testament, had also ordinances. It had things that they had to do, right? The Old Testament's full of things you have to do. Of divine service. Notice the word divine service. That means it's of God. There's things you had to do for God. Well, did you know today you got divine service? There's things you got to do if you're going to be... Now, you don't have to do them. You don't have to do a thing. You've already been saved. You don't have to do a thing in the world anymore about following after what God wants you to do. But I'll tell you, you'll be the most miserable person on the face of the earth because you won't even be lost and you won't be fully satisfied and sanctified of the Lord and you're going to have a miserable life. You try to live for the devil, that ain't happy. 
you try not to do and not to live for God, and that's going to be miserable. Yeah. You're a you're an outcast. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I mean, God can't put His hand on you because you won't follow Him, and the devil can't put His hand on you because God put a seal on you. So you know good to God or the devil. That's pretty plain, ain't it? But ain't that right? Yep. Now what do you want to be? You want to be good for God or good for the devil or good for nothing? <laughs> I mean, the choices are there, you know. Ain't that right, Brother right. Amen. Now, it said uh, of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. See two things there? A divine service and a worldly sanctuary. You see how uh, Hebrews is coming out to tell us this? Then he goes on to say, for there was a tabernacle made. I hear people say, oh, I don't want to study the tabernacle. That's a foolish thing. I never, I never have liked the tabernacle. Well, you like it if you get down and see what it means to you. And now God's not telling us to build a tabernacle. We are His tabernacle now. He dwells in us. We talk about that in a little bit. A tabernacle is something that you dwell or somebody dwells in. That's why He called it a tabernacle. All right. For there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. That's Actually, this is the holy place. Because in that, in that holy place, there was the candlestick, the golden candlestick, and the tables uh, of incense and the showbread, which is the table of incense. That was in the sanctuary. It's called the sanctuary, the holy place. That's what we call the church when we get inside it. Of course, we don't call it sanctuary, but that's what it is. And after the second veil, I told you a while ago they had a veil, two veils. Uh, maybe I didn't say it, but I, uh, it was in my mind when I went by. They come through the veil and get into the holy place, and then there's another veil, which is a humongous veil that no man can tear down, but God ripped it down himself and it takes you into the holiest of all or the holy of holies or the most holy place and verse 4 it said which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round and about with gold wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant now let me just give you three things here I'm going to break this down uh, after a while if I don't get so tired. But I'm telling you, I won't, there's three things that's inside the Ark of the Covenant. Right now, most of you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is. And that's what we're going to deal with today. We're going to talk about what's in the holiest of all, the holy, most holy place, or the, the third compartment, the place where God came down and dwelt. And I'll show you You said how you know He dwelt. I'm going to show you that. Everything I'm telling you, I'm going to give you a Bible for it. Ain't got Bible. We don't need it anyhow. And you can call me a, a false teacher, but we're going to take Bible. Bible's going to do it. We're even going to do a verse by verse. And uh, we're not going to get... Don't worry. We're not going uh, past chapter 25. Not even going to get the full chapter of 25. And uh, we still got from chapter 26 on up to 40 to cover all this today. And you know right now we done got started. We're not going to get that far. And we're going to talk about one piece of furniture and all its accessories and uh, or as much as we can. So we get on down. Inside that Ark of the Covenant is three things. Remember, three things. 
And uh, that, rem- that reminds me of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. All right? I look at that, the Trinity. Uh, then we see here, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold. So there's a golden censer that was in there. Then it said, uh, wherein was inside it was a golden pot that had manna. We're going to talk about the manna. The manna is the bread of God. And the Israelites had it for 40 years. They got tired of the food of God was giving them. And even asked for quails. And God gave them quails. And then they got, I mean, they got sick off the quails. Sometimes we ask things for God for our own benefit. And sometimes God will give them to us for our own benefit. But He'll use it in the end to show you that you don't need what you think you need. Right? Right. All right. We all right now? We still going? All right. Ain't nobody ready to go to sleep? Okay. And it said, Wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. I'm going to give you the significance of these when we get over there in the verses. All three of these things were for one thing. Moses had a rod. We're going to talk about what what power the rod had and what it's representative of. And then it had the tables of the covenant. Now, what's the tables of the covenant? That's a phrase that's used. It's called the Ten Commandments, wrote on two two tables of stone. Wrote twice, by the way. God done it first. And then he told Moses, you get your own rocks next time and come up. And I'll give it to you again. And God said, I'll give you exactly what it was. And word for word, God don't have a memory problem, wrote it down the second time with his finger. But he put Moses, Moses the one broke them, so Moses, you go get us some more rocks. Go get us some more tables. And have you ever seen anybody with the tables of stone? Uh, that's caused, they'll carry... They'll have you those stones and on the front and the back it's got the Ten Commandments. And they got four four rocks. You, Hollywood and all that will mess all that up. There was only two tables of stone and it was only written on one side of each. You didn't have to turn it around to read it. I mean, you, you learn all this stuff by studying the Scriptures. It tells you these things. Very plain. I love it. I like the description God gives. I don't understand it sometimes, but I sure like it when He specifies. I'm still working on some of it I don't know. And I may not get it here because I may not need it. I'm getting, I get tired of people trying to figure out what it says when it don't say it. Amen. That's not The Bible's not of any private interpretation. Amen. God tells us the truth. Amen. He reveals the truth. And if you can't find it in the Bible, just leave it alone. I've, I've messed up on that too many times. I said, the Bible said this, and somebody said, don't say that. And I go look, and sure enough, it don't say that. I said, well, that's what I heard Brother So-and-so down the road. He is preaching, and he said it. That's the reason it's dangerous to listen to what another preacher says. That's why I say, take your Bible with me. I'm, I'm a Bible teacher. I want to study the Bible. No it ain't what that, I think. Huh? There's no telling how far that goes. What that preacher said, you heard, and maybe you passed it on. And all oh, that. that is right. Ain't no telling how many I messed up. Mm-hmm. Well, you passed it on, the more it changes. Right. Yeah, and then somebody changes it, gets their opinion. All right. So we just said, 
I think you have to agree I'm right with the Scriptures this morning. Words done told is all we need to know here. And uh, I'm not giving you know what I think about the tabernacle. I'm just telling you what it says. And what I have said to you ain't seen no Scripture. I can give you the Scripture. We just ain't got there. I'm just trying to get you the framework to get there. So in verse number 5, we found what was in there. We'll talk about why they're there. And over it, the cherubims. Now, how many knows what a cherubim is? Oh, damn, you probably ain't studied much. I studied the cherubims. Yeah. But there's there's a seraphim and a cherubim. And uh, there, I'll tell you right up front, I'm going to deal with this this morning. I'm going to deal with it. But I'll tell you up front that the seraphim and the cherubim are two different angelic beings. I can prove that. I hear preachers call them cherubims in one place and seraphims in another. And some preachers say that they've got uh, you know, one, a seraphim is different than uh, is the same thing as a cherubim, but one's got uh, six wings and the other got four wings, and so, Amen. And so you, I don't believe God's going to lie to you in one place and call them something else. But we won't deal with the seraphim as much today because I don't have time, and I probably won't have time with the cherubims. But I can help you with that, and uh, we may have to keep doing this for us. A lesson or a study or two, and then keep it going because I want to tell you this is a deep study, and that's why people don't want to get involved in it because it takes too long, and you have to search out too much, and actually reading where we're going to read in just a little bit in chapter twenty-five of Exodus, it don't seem like it meets it does anything for us in this modern day. Who who wants to know about something that they done back yonder, way back yonder? What good is the Old Testament chapter 25 through 40 of Exodus to us in our day? We don't even have a tabernacle. We don't offer sacrifice. So let's forget that. Put that in the past. That's why you can't figure out Revelation when you get over there. You're trying to figure out what the end is and you don't even know what the beginning was. Remember that was our last study. Alright. Now here we go. It said... In verse 5, and over it the cherubims of glory, you know where they're from now, shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. That's such a holy subject. I can't tell you everything there is neat. Paul, Paul couldn't tell you here writing in the book of Hebrews if he if he's the writer. I won't argue if you say he's not. I'm, I don't know. It don't say nothing about Paul in it, but I do think it leans toward Paul from what I've studied. And what I say, and I see some of the same phrases that Paul used. So I don't know. Paul's got thirteen books in the New Testament, fourteen if you count Hebrews. And so he's got um, quite a bit of um, say in the old, in the New Testament. Verse six. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. Is that not what I said a while ago? And you see where I'm coming? Where I got it? The priest, not the high priest. The priest. The high priest didn't do these things. They, the priest done it. Every day the priest had to go in, pour the oil in, uh, clean the wicks, make sure it didn't go out. The lamps couldn't go out. Why? It's typifying of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the light of the world. As long as in the world, now we are the light of the world. we got to keep our light shining and burning, not just shining. Uh... To have a shine, you have to have a fire. Most of us want to shine, but we don't want to burn. 
right? right. Hurts to burn. Yeah. Amen. It, it's glorious to shine. I witnessed to 15 people today, and 15, 14 of them got saved. Pat, yeah. pat, pat, pat. Glorify God. No, you're glorifying you. Amen. Right? Right. But amen. Think about to get to them, you under the Lord. You had to get down and say, oh, God, clean this old heart of mine. Touch this old mouth of mine. Touch this old soul of mine. Give me something from above that I can go out and witness for you. But you won't come back bragging about it if you do win them. Say amen. We'll move right on. Y'all still all right? Okay. And so he says that those priests, that that's what they did in the Old Testament. They they went to the they they did they did this every day. The priest, uh, they were taken care of. God took care of the priest. The people took care of the priest through God. They're the only ones that were did not even have an inheritance of a of a portion of land. God didn't give them. He gave all the others some, but not the priest. They were His. Then it said, But into the second went the high priest. Ain't that what I just said? Alone, once every year, not without blood. He had to have that blood. Which he offered first. He didn't say first. Just for himself. I'm saying first. He had to do that first. And for the errors of the people. Those priests worked day after day in that middle part doing the work of God to prepare it and keep it ready so that the high priest once a year went into the veil. Now you didn't just run in there and grab God by the hand and run around around the place. That's what some people think in our church. We can come in and grab God. We've been a, a cussing and a swearing and a lying and a cheating all week. And then come in the house of God and grab God by the hand and say, we're going to have a holy time today. You know why we go out so dead? Because we didn't qualify to get into that holy place. Amen. Amen. And I might have to preach this tomorrow. But I'm telling you, you see what I'm saying? This is an important thing. Is this not a good study? All right. Now let's go on. And he says this. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Now, you can just put errors if you want to, but it's playing out sins. Mm-hmm. What's an error? I heard a fellow tell me one time, I said, uh, uh, I'm glad, thank God, I'm sealed with the day of redemption. I'm not going to lose my salvation. He said, well, uh, there's a lot of people lose uh, their salvation when they... Uh, I said, what sin causes you? He said, well, it don't have to be sins. I said, what if a fellow... He said, oh, we, we, can, we can lose our salvation for errors. Mm-hmm. Right here it don't tell that, does it? No. It's a, they call sin errors. The Bible says anything that's against the law of God is a transgression. Amen. Transgression. Amen. You know what it is? It's failing to keep the law of God. If it goes against the Word of God, it's a sin. My little old mistakes. Have you ever made mistakes? They're not sinful though, are they? Okay, now we've got another category. Uh, uh, you know, mistakes are not sins as long as 
they they don't go so high or either. <laughs> you got to level what kind of mistake you can make. Mm-hmm. What well, suppose it's a mistake? It's just well, it's just a neglect to study in the Word of God, and just a mistake is studying the Word of God. Well, that's a sin. Just a white lie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You just tell a little white lie. You, you hear all this stuff. Sin's a sin. Sin's a sin. And so that's what he done. He done. He he He's getting cleansed from the sins of himself and the errors of the people. Right. So if God counts it bad, then we ought to count it bad too. What about a thought that runs through your mind? Mm-hmm. That's sin too. Mm-hmm. And you said, I can't help run through my mind. Well, we can to a degree. Right. We can keep our minds stayed upon God. Right. Now, if you get to if you get to answer to that and got it all figured out of how you can keep your mind stayed upon God twenty four seven, please, please write me down all <laughs> the details. I want to learn that. I mean, I've been asleep and so good in the middle of the night, sleeping like a baby. Wake up or have a dream or something. It ain't pleasing. And I've had my mind all stayed on God. Yes. Amen. So, hey, we're sinful creatures. All right, I'm glad I can get in that holy place, though. And I can get to the place and get that straightened out. Now, let's go on before I get... On another subject. Verse 8. The Holy Ghost thus signifying. I like that word signifying. Read the first letters of it. S-I-G-N. What's that say? Sign. That's signifying. In other words, God, uh, the Holy Ghost, this signifying, in other words, showing us. Giving us a sign for it. Everybody wants signs. Jews like signs. Uh, Gentiles like signs. Baptists like signs. Methodists like signs. Uh, if we get a sign, we're all right. But God don't go around giving us signs. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen. Amen. Not by sight. The Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all, now look, watch this, was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. You understand now why it's becoming to be important? In the Old Testament, they couldn't fix, they can't see where we are today. They couldn't see us. And so that's getting in the very presence of God. They couldn't see us today as uh, being kings and priests. That's why people have so much trouble with the book of Revelation. Is we are kings and priests now we got saved we become kings and priests you said I know I see some of you looking around you, you're not sure I'm right and okay that's fine but where in the Bible do you see that God tells you go, go see a priest on the earth where does God teach you today to talk to somebody and confess your sins to man? That's right. But see, I read this. The Bible said there's one God between, I mean, one mediator between God and man and man, Christ Jesus. He is our high priest. Where are we? We're in the holy place 
servants of the high priest. We're not, we're not a high priest. We're a priest. Does this make sense to you? Yes. If you don't get this right here, you're going to miss it. So let's read that again. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest, that's the holiest of all, he called it down here in one of the places here, the holiest of all in verse 3. It's called the most holy places and other places in the Bible. But how are you going to get to that most holiest of all? He said, was not yet, uh, he said, it was not yet made manifest. What's manifest? Brought forth, seen. The word was in uh, the word, the Bible talk in the beginning was the word, that's Christ. And the word was with God, that's Christ. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. John 1. Reading that. And you read on that. And he tells you all about him. But down in verse 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh, made flesh, and manifest among us. Right? Amen. We didn't see Christ in the Old Testament till He was made manifest in the New. The Jew, they don't, you don't, show me. Uh, in the Word of God, he's called Emmanuel. Because in the prophecy in Isaiah, he's, she's going to bring forth a child called his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, God, somebody said when he was born then, that he existed. That's his first. No, he was in the beginning. All, see, the Bible said in John 1, all things are made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He's talking about Christ. Yeah. He always has been. But he's never been manifest to where we could see him in human flesh until he became God in the flesh. That's a Bible doctrine. You don't believe that, you, you're in trouble. I run into somebody this week at, uh, at lunch one day, and he didn't believe that. He said he didn't believe Jesus was the Savior. And I said, no, where you get that? He said, the Bible says that. He said, the Old Testament says that God says, I'm your Savior, and there's none else. It does say that. Amen. But then he says, uh, and so that the Catholics come up with the New Testament, and the reason we got a New Testament today is because of the Catholics. And I said, no. What he said. Yeah. And I said, listen, I'll be your friend, and we'll argue about this. I won't get mad at you. But I'm going to have you better get loaded up because I'm going to throw you a, a, a Bible load of information. He said, I don't even accept the New Testament. I don't believe the New Testament's real. I said, okay. If I didn't believe the New Testament real, I'd throw the Old Testament away too. And get, i just go ahead and get on out of it because I'd be a heathen and a vagabond. Yeah. <clears throat> hmm? right. I, the, the Bible teaches us to teach Christ and preach Christ. That's the gospel. What is the gospel? The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, according to the Scriptures. When he read that curtain from top to bottom, that's letting us know we can be in the holiest of holies. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely, you're right. You're right on the track with this. That's exactly where I'm coming to and where we're getting. But he said here, 
uh, he said, the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. When? Now we're talking about Old Testament times. He's talking about Old Testament here. You really didn't you know that's in your New Testament, did you? Read it a hundred times and didn't see it. I've done it so many times. Amen. I just love it whenever little words reaches up. I'm reading it. Brother Tony, and uh, it's just like the Lord slaps me on the cheek and says, and I say, uh, yes, I see it. Lord, that's knocking into me. And, I, and you too, if, you, if you'll just be honest. It said, while the first tabernacle was yet standing, while it was yet standing, uh, the holiest of holies had not been uh, manifest to them. Them Jews did all this sacrifice, and they're just like we are in the day of the church today. They took it for granted. Yeah. They went through the rituals. We go into church, we sing two or three songs. We got our little rut. Every one of them, every church I've been in has got a rut and a ritual. And if God moved in the Sunday school and we just shouted it out to two o'clock, turned, then got ready for worship service, why wow, that would turn the world upside down. <laughs> Old Brother Tony got up preaching and he's uh, got to teaching in Sunday school and the power of God come down and people's hearts have got touched and three or fours in the altar and people coming in for worship service and say, what in the world is going on? It would, and they'd sit there looking on. Amen. It'd be worth going getting some popcorn and watching it for a while. Amen. <laughs> is that right? And then about uh, 12 o'clock, they look over and say, Brother Tony, it's about time to preach. And they've been a singing and a shouting and a testifying. You said, I don't think I'll go back. Didn't get out to 3.30. <laughs> It's because we don't look in the spiritual. Right. We don't look at, we're in the carnal. We're in the flesh. We're not in the spirit. Amen. We can come to get in, we come to get out. There you go. There you go. That's right. Verse number 9 says, Which was a figure for the time then uh, present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him... Uh, that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. It's a spiritual thing, ladies and gentlemen. And you can go on down and read. Matter of fact, uh, maybe we are, but I, I, I'm already about an hour uh, behind in where I wanted to be. I'm going to stop right there for a moment.